Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Jared W., Paul M., Andy S., and Steve B. Returning to the show today is Taj Singh. Taj is president and CEO of Discovery Metals. Discovery is advancing the development stage of a large silver Cordero project in Chihuahua State, North Central Mexico. The company also has a pipeline of Mexican exploration stage projects. Discovery Metals is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol DSV and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol DSVMF. Taj, thanks for coming back on the show and are you squeezing your silver tight? <laughs> Thank you very much for having us and yeah, it's uh, it's definitely been good to see some nice tailwinds in uh, in the precious sector, especially silver. Well, Taj, let's get it off the ground here and talk the silver market status here. I think that's probably first and foremost. I'm not much of a fan of these artificial moves, but uh, the rather organic fundamental improvement for this sector is really where I think is the importance. With that, uh, your thoughts on the market here and your thoughts on this silver squeeze trend. <laughs> yeah, not too, not way too much to be said about the silver squeeze. Obviously, it was very short-lived, but I think it, it highlights the power of the retail investor. And if, if these... Uh, especially now this millennial generation, if they can get behind something, it's going. Um, and the silver market's not that big and it can really, really start moving if, if people get behind it. And then with the, you know, the role of the internet and people to be able to do their own research and figuring out things about, for example, how the silver price is, is being manipulated, they can really start piling in. So it was, it was nice to see, obviously short-lived, but I actually really don't prefer the, the really huge rips in, in price in silver, to be honest, nice and steady. Um, but what it really has is, is brought silver to the forefront for people to realize that, listen, this is the, the supply and demand fundamentals of silver are highly positive over the next decade and beyond. Uh, silver is going to be needed, uh, you know, really brought to the forefront. Silver's need as really uh, the, the, the investment side, we understand. Listen, uh, silver reacts, you know, extreme in a, on marginal buying and selling because the size of the market is so small in, in the investment demand cases. But as an industrial metal, the fact that there's growing, growing demand for silver in the automotive sector, electric vehicles, the solar energy industry, and then now 5G and potentially even 6G networks, it's which are all part of just one example of the new administration in the U.S., the part of their plan. All these things are major parts of their of their plan for, for clean energy revolution. So silver plays a huge part in that. And I think just the industrial demand alone is, is going to drive the price, drive it up from here. And Taj, just on the broad macro view for silver, you know, there's a lot of different opinions out there. With some of the research that you and your team have done and what you've seen in the sector, you know, at current prices and with the industrial demand side, I get that. And with the tailwinds on the financial side, there's certainly some demand for silver uh, for purposes of wealth preservation and, of course, speculation. But at current prices with the production centers around the world, what is your thought on? the real supply demand fundamentals at current prices and when do you think that the market will start to see 
you know, be a little bit more forward-looking in terms of what the current price is today versus the forward look for demand. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it's pretty clear over the past, I think, five years, uh, production uh, supply has, has dropped. Um, uh, the global supply has dropped pretty substantially. And even a 5-10% drop in this, if it continues, it's, it's leaving huge amounts of deficits of silver. I think that's being realized right now. Again, because of the size of the market of silver uh, being being quite small in comparison to to gold, for example. Um, and and listen, I think people are going to start realizing um, that you're going to need a higher silver price uh, to be able to bring up, bring online a lot more of these silver projects. And you know, it bodes extremely well for silver. Uh, and I think that's actually starting now. I think that that kind of movement and those, those that kind of thought process is, is starting now. Let's move on here. Let's talk, uh, maybe we'll come back to the macro stuff in a moment, but let's update on discovery here, Taj. Maybe just give us a quick overview of the current capital structure, the shares, cash, and of course, uh, the key holders at this point. The current shares at Standard are about 320 or so. Uh, we just a couple of days ago announced warrants from 2017 that it expired. Those are 31 million or so of those. Our current cash balance is just in and about $100 million Canadian, so very, very well cashed up to really advance the project. Uh, and also have a, a significant portion of the equity capital, we believe, for the build. And market cap hovering now at a, at a very decent kind of around $800 million Canadian. So we've really, uh, really been able to load up the coffers and, and really, uh, I think a lot of people are getting, again, positive on silver. And the fact that we are one of the world's largest silver deposits on a mining belt uh, and all the other characteristics that you need for something eventually becoming a mine. We have those. Cordero ticks those boxes. And those have all, uh, those have all helped bring the share price up. In terms of ownership, uh, as you know, our largest shareholder is Eric Sprott. He owns 27%. Been a great uh, and, and supportive shareholder. Insiders, founders, management and board own about a little over 10%. So definitely got skin in the game institutional uh, ownerships about 30% and retails in and around 30% as well. So pretty good kind of coverage across the uh, the various groups for uh, ownership. And Taj, where do you and Mark stand on shares owned at this point? Maybe you can share a little bit of color on where you are. And of course, Mark, I think, is also an important component of his commitment to the silver part of this thesis and also just the company and how you guys have put this together. Marco Day, the, the founder of Discovery Metals and the, the principal of Oxygen Capital, um, I believe you know he's, he's, he's sold very little of what he has so far, only really to cover warrant exercises, which were expiring primarily. Uh, he, he's almost got all uh, everything he's had since he came in on the original financing. Um, I believe he's in and around six million or a little bit more shares, and he's got obviously some options, so quite a bit of exposure, maybe close to eight million or so kind of exposure. Myself, I haven't sold uh, a share other than about 10,000 shares a few weeks ago to cover a, a warrant exercise as well, because those were expiring. I was in on the original financing. So I have all of, all of my positions, which is close to about 2 million shares, about the same or a little bit more in terms of option exposure as well. So we're definitely got skin in the game, like I said, and uh, we, we see this we see this moving up stronger. Taj, talk about the CapEx requirement as things stand, and I'll get into the PEA and, and how you guys are going to move this forward, but you guys have a CapEx now that is notably lower than where the market cap of this company is today. It's, it's not uh, too often that you get this type of setup. We see a lot of companies out there that uh, have a market cap that's a fraction of their CapEx requirements, and so 
talk about that for a moment and what that provides you guys the optionality to be able to take advantage of this market cap setup going forward, where there's just not a lot of scenarios out there that line up with what you guys have done. Yeah, that's a really good, a really good point you brought up. And we actually, we really try to highlight that in our discussions with investors is simply is the fact that, yeah, we're looking for kind of an initial capex around 200 to 250 million, materially lower than the the older version of, uh, of of the scope of the project uh, that the previous operators had, had contemplated, and again, yeah, so our our market cap is multiples of that, um, you know, and we're also one of the very very important metrics for us is the NPV to capex ratio. We believe will be one to one NPV to capex ratio is considered a good project that could you know has high likelihood of becoming a mine, and I think we'll be well north of that multiples of that at spot prices so we're in a very good position because not only the size of the project the long life of the project there's not many out there we're talking this thing could be three decades two to three decades easy there's not many projects out there that have that long life that have this kind of size the ability to stage and expand the production and again the simple fact that we're five kilometers off a major highway there's a power line up one side of the property you're on flat rolling ground with nothing really around you being, you know, you're remote enough to be able to set up a very large kind of operation. So all of these things obviously help bring the capex down. Uh, and also, I, I still am a strong believer that Mexico, in terms of both capex and opex, and just mining in general, is, is a top jurisdiction. All of these things contribute to the fact that this project is really in, in, a, in a class of its own. There's not many out there. Uh, and, and in terms of quantitatively showing that, you're right. Um, NPV to capex ratio, market cap to, to capex ratio. We bode well on those. You guys are at PEA update level here, and so I guess my concern is, and I'm interested to hear on how you guys plan to make this go strategically from here with the current market cap, how do you guys continue to grow the market cap here? And that I know that ties into the plans for the rest of this year. You guys haven't even put out a PFS, and you've got this market cap. So how do you keep this fantastic setup going to keep the interest going, to keep the value growing to where when you guys do finance this thing and construct it, that it's a relatively easier exercise than some company who has a 50 million market cap trying to raise 200 million to build a mine. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I, I will note that we are putting out a PEA, we're internally calling it a PEA plus. Uh, as as our, our listeners may know, uh, the Cordero project had a previous resource in PEA, several of them, as they continue to drill and and, and update the resource and, and put out new studies. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of data. This project is already deep risk. It's not really a PEA project. I just want to make that clear. This really, the product we'll be putting it out, putting out is we're, we're really shooting it and targeting for it to be a PFS level kind of project, both the resource. We think there's going to be much, much more in the indicated and above categories, for example, in the resource than you'd ever normally see in a PEA. So again, de-risks it. The CapEx estimate, we're really digging in there. We're trying to move it towards almost a PFS level of estimate, both OPEX and CapEx. Um, and just the amount of drill data we have. Like there's, you know, over, you know, 400 and, 400 and some odd holes in this in this project now. Uh, the new resource coming out is going to have almost 200,000 meters of drilling. In it. This really isn't an arm wave PEA. This is really, uh, again, moving towards a PFS. And I think that's helped us. We've been able to show that we're de-risking this project. People already know what it kind of looks like. It's not a project that there's other projects out there that ended up companies that had a very high market cap, but that's even pre-resource. Here, you know what you're kind of getting. It's additionally de-risking it with more and more drilling 
uh, and a team that's that's done it before in terms of optimizing a mine uh, and moving it towards uh, the development and construction stage. Another thing to point out is the old study that's out. I think putting the new study out will really show people and provide you know detailed studies and analysis of really what this what what this new project's going to look like. And I don't. I think there's there's quite a few investors that maybe know about it, but a lot of them don't. You know the the positive attributes this project has, and and really how the metrics stack up versus other projects. I don't think a lot of people actually realize having that project out there. Um, I think will enable us to close the gap of of what you know um, what we actually think our peers are trading out, and and we think we're actually probably at a discount to it if you compare it to uh, similar peers. Yeah, that's good information, and we've got deliverables that you've stated, um, deliverables that will be a updated resource model and, of course, a PEA update by the end of the year. And then the metallurgy improvements are done at this point, and based on what you've said, this PFS is really just a simple exercise to move from this highly detailed and multiple updated PEA to a PFS. So my suspicion is, is to get to a PFS isn't a lot more effort. And then, of course, the DFS is a big cheese, of course, for the final financing and decision-making. So what is the timeline here to get to that PFS level? Can that happen next year, 2022? And are you guys comfortable just to take this attack on in at current prices? Um, in terms of moving to a PFS, your first question, definitely 2022 is what we're targeting. To be honest, also relating to one of your comments is we might go right to a feasibility study. I'll be honest, uh, depending on what we see in this project, how much of the how much of the resources in the higher conference categories, even by, I didn't mention the previous uh, comment I'd made, but the metallurgy exactly is going to be a PFS level of metallurgy. We're currently doing a, a pretty exhaustive program, looking at the entire deposit in the various domains, various lithologies, and, and just getting a really granular view of this thing in terms of the process engineering characteristics. If we go to a PFS 2022, second part of 2022, and we, again, we are contemplating, depending on what we see here, going potentially right to an FS. Yeah, that sounds good. And looking forward to seeing that progress stay on track and have you guys get serious about, and I think you've been serious all along, but maybe the market doesn't realize that, but that this isn't just a wave some documents and some permits in the air and, and a hope that someone comes and buys you, but rather that this is a development project that we would like to see you guys take forward in the group if no one comes through with a superior offer just to go ahead and move this forward uh, within the group. I think you guys have proven time and time again that uh, the group can build these projects and operate them successfully. And so I think that that's an important piece to point out. Talk about just for a moment, some of the other pipeline assets. Is there any motivation, Taj, in management to option JV or monetize a portion of the pipeline for the benefit of the Cordero advancement and for shareholders? And I guess, let me just tie it in with a sister company, Cal Everett over at Liberty has been able to monetize insignificant or just, you know, projects that are insignificant to Black Pine and Gold Strike. But basically just, you know, a little bit of this activities to also bolster the bank and to continue to de-risk what's going to be Cordero. What's your thoughts on pipeline and how you guys are going to go about doing that? That's a good question. Listen, discovery is Cordero. That's it, flat and simple. We really don't think of it actually as just a project. I want to note that we think Cordero will be a district uh, in and of itself. We think there's multiple deposits here at this property. We're on one of them. 
The Cordero resource area occupies less than a thousand hectares. We have 35,000 hectares around it. Uh, we already have probably 15 to 20 targets, earlier stage targets that we want to work on. We're hoping two or three or four of them we can be built up into drill ready targets. They're definitely prospective in terms of geochemistry, uh, geophysics. And so we've already allocated a budget of about two or three million dollars, mainly mapping and sampling with a kind of goal to potentially have them drill ready in fourth quarter of 2021. So we think that actually is going to provide quite a bit of exploration system, you know, whether or not they're part of the main large system, which this is such a strong system. I mean, for something to go in and mineralize a billion tons of rock in the middle of a property, you, you'd hope that there's a high probability for other deposits nearby. And, and, and we do definitely believe that there is. They just haven't, we haven't really worked on them because we've been so focused on the resource area and same with the previous operators. So Cordero in and of itself, we believe is a district. We think there's other exploration properties right on that that completely can be synergistic with Cordero. That's obvious. And the other properties you talk about are, are uh, in, in the sister state, the nearby state of Coahuila, which were the original properties in when Discovery started in late 2017. Those are ready to drill. We have, we have about three key properties. Two of them are ready to drill. One of them, we're still waiting for some permits. You know, we're, we're going to continue to work on that in the background. Those are very, very high grades. They're different than Cordero, extremely high grade, silver zinc lead properties, much less tonnage, but again, very, very high grade. We think those have high potential uh, to be something. They're much earlier stage. So again, the low hanging fruit, the most obvious way to drive values at Cordero and the surrounding Cordero area. But those uh, those projects, we've we've kind of said we're going to look at uh, we're going to you know continue to evaluate when when we want to work on them, you know if there is a chance to chance to do something with them, uh, spinning them out, monetizing them, that is a possibility. Um, but in a way, they kind of go pretty well with Cordero because they are silver zinc lead. They're in this the same state nearby, um, so the actual the actual kind of uh, incremental cost to work on them and build them up wouldn't actually be much. So, I, I, you know, in summary, we're pretty open on it. Um, if, if something, you know, we're not going to, you know, work at pushing to move these projects because really we've got $100 million in the bank um, and we don't really need to bolster the, the cash balance. But if something comes, uh, comes across the table, that makes sense, uh, we, we would look at it. And also we'll continue to evaluate if, if these are worth, uh, you know, the when the appropriate time, sorry, is, is to drill these. Yeah, that makes sense. And for an operating company that becomes depleting and so forth, obviously a pipeline makes a lot of sense. And I know that there's good potential in these projects. And maybe you guys keep one, maybe you keep two, maybe you're able to, to option out with an interest. But still, I mean, if you can generate 20, 30 million or on option agreements, et cetera, monetization on maybe one or two of the projects that you see as less non-core big stride forward for the financing as well notwithstanding that uh, you have a lot of cash but as you know the more you can do this uh, the better it i think the performance will happen to be and of course you guys are a lot of the way there already with your cash pile and so we'd like to see this continue on your comment earlier at cordero is there any you know just looking at the belts here and, and the trends do you guys plan to expand that footprint more towards along some of these trends in terms of other side of the power line and other side of the highway there? What's your thoughts on expansion? Yeah, we're really, the, again, the low-hanging fruit um, is, is really in and around the resource here and expanding that. That's completely what we're focused on now for at least until this resource in PA comes out. Longer term, we've already got, like I said, about 20 or so targets. 
we'll you know call that down to six or seven and then maybe three or four of them ready to drill uh, maybe even more but uh, um, it's it's again like I said such a large land package we will continue to uh, continue to evaluate uh, the opportunities across the property. Last year was the first time airborne mag and EM was flown over the property. That's provided a huge, huge amount of information, new layers of information, um, which we're going to get to continue to use for interpretation. So yeah, it's, uh, I think that gets missed also. The resource is the resource and it's going to be a mine, uh, but there's, there's very high, there's high potential for, for other deposits nearby and we'll continue to explore a land package to look for these. And Taj, just one more thing here, just on that before I, I want to get to social license in a moment here. But if you guys do proceed here and you get to a DFS level at that point, are you guys at current prices, assuming silver doesn't, you know, drop out here, but at current prices, let's just assume two years forward here, you guys have a DFS in hand and you're ready to go. You've been able to conserve cash and the silver price, let's just call it in the same location as uh, it is today. Nothing happens as far as the market price improvement beyond this current price. Will you guys go ahead and pull the trigger on this and develop it out yourself? This is another point I want to make up. Silver's ran, but I don't know if, if people will remember. Our our goal on this project was to make a project that works at eighteen dollars silver. We have a project that works at eighteen dollars silver. That's that's huge. That's it's a it's it's it'll be one of the largest primary silver mines in the world. That's at eighteen dollars silver. Now the part that I think some people are getting, but maybe a lot of people aren't getting, is the fact, the ability to get that even larger if silver goes up. So most silver mines, a vast, vast majority of them are underground mines. You're either in ore or you're in waste. So if silver price goes up, you don't add ore. You just, you have a margin expansion, there's no resource expansion. If I go from $20 to 25 at Cordero, my resource size with no more drilling, my resource size increases by close to half a million ounces of silver equivalent, just by going from 20 to $25. If I go up further, then go to $35 an ounce, it'll increase another 300 million ounces. And that's all laid out in our, in our cutoff grade sensitivity from the previous studies. That gives you a good guideline of what this project looks like at higher prices, but that's really the big thing about this, is we are working on a project that works at $18 silver that has knockout NPV to CapEx ratios, fantastic IRRs, fantastic paybacks. That, that full stop. If silver goes, I really don't think there's any project that's got the, the, the leverage and the torque we have because you not only get the margin expansion, as I said, you get huge resource expansion. What's the thought, though, on the development as far as you guys will take this forward at current prices? This project is completely showing that it could be a mine at lower silver prices. So at these silver prices, yeah, we would keep moving this ahead for sure. Okay. And talk about just the sensitivity for just a moment, Taj. Just give the people that are listening a flavor for if they expect the silver price to go up. Let's say we see 35 silver, $40 silver, and we get back to the previous highs in silver price. Just talk briefly about how that levers discovery of metals. Yeah, well, so I mentioned in the previous in the previous example that the, the, the very neat thing about this project is that its ability to be staged and its ability to expand seamlessly. There's a core, and then around it is another ring of medium grade ore. Then there's another huge ring of lower grade ore. Then there's so if silver goes to you know forty, fifty dollars, you know like there's, there's a resource here that's over a billion ounces of silver equivalent, probably more to be found. 
so <laughs> depending on what you give silver, um, maybe an in-situ value, because obviously those have been put into a mine plan, etc. cetera. Um, they obviously will be pit constrained if you made a huge mega giant pit, but just think about it in an in-situ value, right? So you've got a billion ounces, say, plus or minus, billion ounces silver equivalent, and silver goes up, you know, five bucks an ounce from where it is now. Maybe you realize $2 of that in terms of an in-situ value increase. <laughs> That's an increase of, you know, close to $2 billion. And then it goes up another $5. Maybe you don't realize the whole $5 increase, but you realize some portion of that. But it just shows you, because of the sheer size of the deposit, what this thing could really be worth. Like silver guys are trading at typically, if they're in good jurisdictions right now, in-situ value, two, three bucks an ounce. Easy, probably, if you got a higher... Like kind of like the silver crests in the mags or maybe even higher, like seven, eight dollars an ounce. So even if you put something in at four or five dollars an ounce, just on an in-situ value basis, you can see Discovery is trading at a fraction of what it even should be now. <laughs> That's interesting and appreciate the idea there. And definitely, you know, the in-situ value is, you know, has certainly some basis. Uh, the MPV part of this is important, but of course the MPV assumes that, you know, there's going to be cash flow at a certain period of time, et cetera. But definitely it has uh, substantial leverage, as you know we've highlighted, looked at this as well. But uh, it definitely carries quite a bit. And talk just briefly about the importance of the zinc-lead component of this project as well, because this also, if zinc and lead continue to have positive pricing and even a current pricing ties, this is a nice, big, fat byproduct. Completely. Just to, just to tie in with your last comment before I talk about the zinc and lead, is the only reason I really talked about in situ values because we haven't really contemplated a mine plan for $40 silver. Like definitely a pit could be put under there. And, and to be honest, almost the entire resource would be economic at that kind of silver price. That's why I only related to the, to the in situ um, component. I'm, you know, we're all about NPVs and putting stuff for discounted cash flows and seeing how those line up, obviously. I only did that as kind of a, a thumbs up kind of idea on where this thing could go. And then just to point out in our PEA that we put out, we'll be putting our base case, which is a project that works at $18 silver. Um, but we'll also be putting out in either a separate chapter, an addendum to one of the chapters, what we call a blue sky case. Uh, and that's a, that's a, that's an accelerated expansion and a bigger project for higher silver prices. So people who, who think silver is going a certain way can go look and see, understand the economics of that. They'll be grade, they'll be stripped, they'll be, it'll be all laid out there. So I just wanted to point that out. Um, on your question of zinc and lead, yes, um, you know, silver at spot prices, silver represents about 60, 65% of the, of the NSR value of the deposit. Gold is about five, 6%, uh, maybe a little more, but zinc and lead, you know, and around about 25% of the of the value. And, um, you know, listen, it's, we've been starting to look at numbers for zinc and lead. Zinc and, uh, zinc and lead uh, supply demand fundamentals are fantastic right now. I, uh, I was looking and the, and the kind of, uh, the, the, the demand and the need for, um, for zinc is increasing all the way to 20, 40 or 50, it's more than doubling. So the zinc price fundamentals look very strong, uh, lead as well. And again, a lot of these are used in high performance and even in some green initiatives. So it's a, it's a nice chunky byproduct, as you say. Again, you're having intervals of, of, of sometimes, depending on different parts of the deposit, three, four or five percent of, of significant widths of, of zinc in along that comes along with the silver. So it's, it's definitely something that definitely uh, adds to the to the NPV. 
Yeah, and I appreciate the clarification on that, Taj. And I wasn't going after you for the in-situ stuff, but what I do go after sometimes is in specifically the silver sector, there's a lot of this talk about in-situ and these guys are never going to build the mine, but it's all about their in-situ and they think where it can go type things. And I'm not saying that that's not uh, possible, but it's it gets abused is what I'm saying. And Completely uh, agree with you. Completely yeah. agree. Yeah. Okay, let's talk social license here. What is the status on social license status? Uh, maybe things on the uh, permitting side as far as, I know you guys are still a little bit early here, but uh, you guys are coming up on you know environmental impact statements, et cetera. Just talk about the local community, government relations, and how that uh, side of things are going. Yeah, we're be, we've been very proactive in this. Um, we're very far ahead considering we're only at a quote unquote PEA stage. We're already uh, you know, very actively involved um, in terms of uh, social engagement, uh, community engagement, hiring local workforces. Those are all very much important part of our, our program. Environmental studies are already underway. Uh, we've already already within 2021, we will start submitting permits for construction. Um, and we are actually permitted at this point all the way to a construction decision in terms of any of the exploration activities we need. We're completely permitted. But we're going to continue that and actually start submitting uh, applications in the back half of this year um, for construction. Um, so we're moving that along very quickly. The, this kind of social license, um, we're in a mining area through and through. It's an ex-mining district. Even on our property, uh, there's quite a bit of you know direct shipping, you know, small little shafts. But generally, they have the, the mentality. And, and some of them come from families that haven't been involved in mining for, for decades, if not centuries. Um, mining's part of their, their DNA. Uh, even the state we're in, Chihuahua State, is one of the best mining states in Mexico. We have very good relations with the state government, local government. We continue to uh, stay active and, and, and be in touch with them. Uh, they're very supportive of the project, both at the local and state level. Uh, they know the kind of size this is and, and what it can mean for employment. And yeah, we'll continue to push on the social license to operate great point of view with that too you know obviously things are pretty good there um, as far as the the speed and where you guys stand and definitely if you can keep the government well on your side we've noticed that there can be a lot of success in mexico um, as long as the government's on your side and then of course there can be some companies who can cause trouble and also cause problems where people think mexico is not so fun but uh, i think if you can do it right and you can keep the wheels greased so to speak i think that that really works well back to the financing side for a moment with your guys's current cash you know some of those warrants uh I don't think there's any warrants left, is there? No, there is in 2022. There's some warrants. Those will help contribute to the the balance as well, uh, to increase the cash balance over next year. Um, they're in the money right now, strongly. Yeah. We've got about uh, about 30 million warrants or so, average price of them, because a, a bunch of them are $1.75, and some of them are at 77 I believe. So in and around kind of halfway between those two. And then the big point of those I want to note is they're three-quarters of them Three quarters of them are owned by uh, our largest shareholders um, who, who want to continue to increase their exposure um, in, with the project. So um, they're in good hands. That's the thing to note. Yeah, and it's likely if the share price holds up well that those could come in early. So with that, though, and where you guys have where the market cap stands today and where it can potentially go as you guys continue to progress and deliver, 
is there a need for conventional debt financing at this point? And could you use, uh, if, if the terms are good, could you use some type of a stream agreement um, with one of the uh, royalty companies? I know you guys have thought about it and you probably even had some conversations at this point, but what's your cost of capital is really going to be? Because you guys are in a, a nice position right now. Depending on what the CapEx ends up being, I think we're going to have a very significant portion of that, uh, the equity portion of it. And I think the other portion, the cl classic thing to do is, is is the remaining portion with debt. I think debt terms are fantastic, as good as they've probably ever been in terms of cost of capital. So we have, we have started high-level thinking about these kind of things. You know, when you target a kind of debt-to-equity ratio of 70-30, we'll probably be better than that. You know, so it's just been more high-level discussions, but the fact that, you know, going back to that side, this project is going to be completely de-risked. Additionally, it's an open pit project. A lot of times, there's a little bit of from, from the debt providers. Underground projects need a lot more kind of, you need to be sure and safe about them. This is an open pit project. It's going to be drilled to a significant, kind of, you know, very good kind of drill density that'll give confidence in, in getting the project financed. So at a high level, we've spoken about it. We think we're in a very favorable position again to have a majority of the equity portion of the build. And then, yeah, our, our general thinking right now is the other portion would debt down the road. Any thoughts on existing shareholders, uh, some kind of silver notes, uh, delivery in bars, anything like that? We've tossed around the idea, but uh, not we haven't really uh, dug into it yet. But that's something we'll, we'll obviously consider down the road. Okay. Taj, I promised to come back to a macro thought for a moment. Any thought on silver's connection to many financial systems out there? And if the price gets out of control or untamed, if you will, by what's happening in the market, both paper side and physical, and of course, the supply demand fundamentals that we discussed earlier, do you think that risks with silver out of control or at a much higher price, uh, at least a multiple or two from here, do you think that risks any collapse of certain financial systems? You know, I've, uh, I think it probably does. I think somehow we're going to see some stability in the price. I think it naturally, it hit a high of $49 before in 2011. I think it naturally needs to go there at least. You hear people talking about $100 and, and much beyond $100 silver. I don't know about those. Uh, that seems uh, potentially problematic, as you pointed out. You know, pretty strong case for it to be able to go to 50 and beyond. Those are my kind of points. Yeah, agreed. I think uh, we can get back to uh, at least the last high and the commodity cycle would point to that fact probably playing out at some point, maybe not on the time frame that everybody wants. Certainly think that that's possible. And if it relates to any other commodities and their performance, once they break out from their past highs, um, we've also seen that they can have a lot of runway left. So we'll see what happens. Well, let's wrap up here, Taj. Uh, potential investors who are on the sidelines listening to our chat today, market cap stands around 850 million Canadian here. What would you say to potential investors at this stage and at current price levels? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to say that, listen, despite uh, what seems like a, uh, a quick rise in, in market cap, you know, if you look at enterprise value, we've got $100 million in cash. So that, that contributes to the 850. There's not really uh, uh, any project that's got the kind of size potential we have in the silver space. Silver space is limited as it is. There's very few primary silver open pit mines in the world, and underground mines don't give you your, the resource expansion we see with open pit mines. We're on a mining belt. This will be a mine. Lots of located, lots of surrounding infrastructure, uh, lots of ability to get this, make this project larger and larger and larger as CapEx is paid off or silver price increases. We've de-risked this project 
We will continue to de-risk it. Uh, we've already de-risked it quite a bit. We will continue to de-risk it. And um, it's a team that's that's done it before several times. You know, despite, again, the, the, the market cap increase, as I pointed out, previous points in the discussion, we think we're, there's actually a, we're trading at a pretty significant discount to what we should be trading at. And I think as, our, as we get moved closer towards the study and eventually as the study comes out, it'll be clear, you know, what the real value of this project is. And then on top of that, if silver tailwinds continue to be favorable, again, the kind of leverage and torque we have, you don't see it out there in the space. Best way for investors to reach out to you and the company? Yeah, you can uh, connect through us uh, through our website, www.dsvmetals.com. We also have a, uh, a Twitter page and LinkedIn. Uh, they can also connect to us through that. Yeah, we're uh, you know readily available uh, to communicate with investors as, uh, as needed. We're pretty active as well on social media, I want to note. Try to do at least one to two interviews a week. Uh, it's, it's been great to be able to get the message out there. So we'll continue to continue to do that in terms of news coming out every three, four weeks, expect a press release uh, in terms of drill results, uh, metallurgy results coming in the second quarter. Um, and, and just because the resource is coming out and the PEA is coming out, it doesn't mean we're stopping the drilling. I just want that to be known that we're going to continue drilling throughout the year, seamlessly moving to PFS drilling. And so continually expect uh, news from the company every every month or even less. Taj, you're a busy guy. Keep up the efforts there. And you guys uh, definitely are not in a position where you have to talk much about what you're doing. You just have to deliver on the ground, which is what you guys are doing. And we can see that in the share price, irrespective of any awareness activities that you guys are working on, including coming on our show. But uh, we definitely appreciate you taking the time with us. It's been a great chat. Keep up the work and looking forward to having you come back again soon. That's fantastic. Always great to be here. Thanks.